told Sandra, I, I, she gave me the list of songs, and I, I, I said, I lo love this song selection. The only problem is that song does me in every time, and I would have to preach after that. I'm done right now. I mean, my heart is so full. And particularly this song is important because this song actually has something to do with space and place of being. Did you all notice it at the end? And, it, and it's my reality. Prone to wander. You don't have to say anything else besides that, right? Because we know this about our character. We know this about our interior lives, right? We are prone to wander. <laughs> Lord, I feel it. <laughs> but then, I think it's the second verse. It says, here's the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Isn't that a wonderful dichotomy? That first we know, we, we know we're prone to wander, but there is this solid place. There is this sure place where I can be, where we can be solid in the Lord. I don't know about you all, but as I look at life lived today, there is so much in my life that makes me prone to wander. We just got to look at the news for a short amount of time. We just got to call a couple of friends or two. And there are these external sources that push against our solidity that God places inside of us. But if we remind ourselves, if we rehearse together on a constant basis, there is a mountain. And we can be fixed upon it. Let the winds come. Let the storms come. It doesn't matter. Because here's the thing about this exercise that we're doing today. Worship, gathering together, singing songs, pr praying, these aren't things that we do purely out of obligation. These aren't things that we do because God says do it. God says do it because when we pray, when we worship, when we are the gathered people, when we do these sacramental things, we find ourselves at the throne of God. We find ourselves at the very presence of God. And that's a solid, sure space where our interior lives are transformed. Here's the mount. <laughs> Praise God, we're fixed upon it. Mm. Praise be to God. I want to turn our attention to our interior lives. Here's a, a poem that I, I wrote. It's called Call the Mount. There is within us all <clears throat> a place of truth for safekeeping, where all we hold sacred is bound in kept care. It's where our truer selves lives. It's where our real consent dwells. Whether winsome or woesome, it's where your you reside. 
It's the holy thou, the sacred self, the clarity of identity. It is the temple of our kinder spirits. Deep buried, long ignored, this temple of our familiars holds the ghost of our forgotten but needful things. The ghost of our forgotten but needful things. Held hidden by fear, cowardice kept cover. Once released, you become responsible. So let it lie, the false self says, till a realer, deeper, truer voice cries, call him out, let him come, call him out. Call him out, let him come, call him out. Call out your emptiness, whole hollow to be filled, let him come. Call out the you that mourns for what's been relinquished and recklessly removed, call him out. Call out your meekness, power open-handedly held, let him come. Call out the thing that craves fairness like food and justice like real drink, call him out. Call him out, let him come, call him out. Call him out, let him come, call him out. Call forth your mercy, let in favor fall, let him come. Call out pure purpose, mixed motives no more. Call out the you that demands peace, dives into the gaps, builds bridges for the breach, let them come. Call out the side of yourself that's willing to wear the scars, dismiss the bars, and bear the pain of persecution for something or someone greater than oneself. Call them out. Let them come. Call them out. This is the spirit willingly evacuating the shrine. This is the world recovering from itself. The sky of consciousness parting, ground giving way, graves bursting open. This is living saying yes to life. For your sake. For the world's sake. For God's sake. Call them out. See, it's in you. It's in us. This place where your spirit and God's spirit finds communion one with another, it's a sacred place, a solid space where you make meaning in your world, that this place that you love from, that you live from. It's not the egoic self. See, the egoic self is this space where, we, where, where our judgment lies, where our anxiety lives. It's the place where you're either in or out or up or down. No, in you is a strong, sure place where you are God's and God is yours. It is the place of your sacred consent. When God says, feed my sheep, that part of you says, yes. Love the unlovable, yes. Love your enemy, yes. Live not for the blessing, but from the blessing. And this space inside of ourselves says, yes. This is where I do my work as a spiritual director. Now, a spiritual director is someone who walks alongside of people in their spiritual journey. I've been doing this job, this very specific work um, in the kingdom for, uh, I guess, about 15 years. I, I serve as a non-anxious, non-judgmental presence, and I sit with people, and we talk about their lives. I love it. It's the best job I've ever had. I, in my office now, I got these two cushy leather club chairs, and the students here and the faculty here, they come, they take off their shoes. I thought that was weird at first, but they take off their shoes, they curl up in the next seat, and I don't help them fix their problems. I try to help them be exposed to where God is in the problem, right? I try to track where they are in their spiritual maturity. And I try to ask questions 
from a place of listening deeply to the Holy Spirit and listening deeply to them in the hopes that we can foster a conversation between them and a God that sees them as a beloved. And it's an extraordinary job, um, but it, it's a job that digs deep into the interior lives of who we are. Mike Cope joked with me one time, and he said, Eric, wherever I go, whether it's a rural place or whether it's an urban center, whether I'm talking to, to church members at a small church or uh, the, the preacher of a, of a huge church, every time I tell them I'm from Pepperdine, Mike says, uh, somebody says, oh, do you know Eric? He's my spiritual director. It is true. I, I, I meet with so many people from not only here on campus, but from around uh, the world. And, and, and they are on the spectrum. I mean, rich, poor, white, black, gay, straight, good, bad, conservative, progressive. And it doesn't matter to me. I just want to love them. And I want to love them deeply. I want to tend to their hearts. And I want to be a safe space for them to look in the deep places of faith. So Mike asked me, he said, Eric, in this really uh, unique space that you feel in these people's lives, is there a word that you could share with church members or church leaders um, that could bless their lives during harbor? And the first thing that came to mind was this, mind the stories that you tell yourself. Mind, tend to, be aware of the stories we tell ourselves as individuals, as families, as whole communities. Mind your stories. I'll do it this way. I'll, I'll ask the question that, I'll, that I ask most of my directees um, in, 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 I'd say, a two or three month span. I would have asked them this question uh, probably more than once. What are the stories you're believing about yourself these days? What are the stories you're believing about yourself these days? Because there are a whole lot of stories we hear about ourselves all the time. The world around us tells us stories about ourselves. Social media tells us stories about ourselves. Our family and our friends, they, they, they cloud our, and, 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 and infuse us with stories. We even tell ourselves stories about ourselves. Because here's the thing, the, the, these stories are important because the stories we believe about ourselves shape our identity. They impact our desires which in part shapes our behavior. And a lot of times we take these stories every day, every hour, every minute, without really considering how they shape our identities, shape our desires, and shape our behaviors. What are the stories you are currently believing about yourself today? Peter was actually forced to deal with some of the stories, especially Acts 10. Let me read this. This is Acts 10, um, starting at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. 
And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And listen to what he says. Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven. It happens, doesn't it? You got this long-held belief that you are solid on, and you know you ain't never going to change. There is this belief that, that, that there is this sure understanding that you have about something and you know nobody is going to shake you from that belief until life happens, right? Here's a few of mine. I hate authority. Then I became really good friends with an undercover police officer. Who, who saw that happening, right? I'll never hang out with heroin addicts. And then they start coming to my church and I can't imagine worship without them. This is a great one. I'll never be a preacher. <laughs> About 18 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. What is it for you? You had this long-held belief, right? And it was lodged deep into your soul. And you knew you couldn't be shaken from it, whatever it was. And then life happens. And it forces you to think about things in vastly different ways, right? What was it for you? How did it make you feel when there was this tug and this pull to wrench this idea, this, this meme out of your hands? Think about it because this is the moment for, for Peter. A, a couple of observations as we enter the text. This, this moment for Peter did not begin with Peter. Like most life-changing moments, this, this moment for Peter began with God. God was already at work making a way for this heart change in Peter. God was already at work setting up Peter's missionary activities before Peter ever knew it. In this previous verse, we find God speaking to Cornelius, a Gentile, Someone history, time, and tradition says was completely unacceptable to God. God sends an angel and says this to Cornelius in verses 4 and 5. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. God was already at work. And hear me, it was always God's intent to make this community more than just the children of Israel. It was never God's intent to limit the scope of his kingdom to the Hebrew people. All throughout the Old and New Testament, we see indications of God opening up his doors to more than just the Jewish nation. Why? Because real love is shown in choosing the unchosen. Right? God does it all the time. You, you know, okay. These are my people that I choose to love. I'm sorry, y'all. They're beautiful. They're sweet. They're kind. <laughs> my man is embracing his chosen. He's like, amen. Right. Right. It, it, it's us. Sorry. But God has a habit of loving the chosen. 
true. Wow. This, this is real love. Two quick examples. Moses, Moses, go to Egypt and free the Hebrew family from bondage. Who do, um, uh, who do I, uh, I, I want you, uh, who do I want you to get? I want you to get my Hebrew family, teach them about the Passover so the last plague won't affect them, and you and the Hebrew people come to worship me on the mountain. Then we get this in Exodus 12 and 37 and 38, and this is reads, it reads this, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. This is what verse 38 says, many other people went with them. Wait, what? This is the most Jewish thing ever. The Exodus being led by the, uh, being, being uh, launched by the Passover and other people went with him? Hmm. God chooses the unchosen. Jesus is tired of, of fighting with the Pharisees. He goes to Tyre and it says that, 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 that he, he runs into a, a, a woman. Okay, so right off, you know, we're discounting that. But then Mark calls her the Seraphonician woman. And he's doing this for a particular reason because what he wants you all to know is not only is she a woman, but she is not, and then she's not just a Gentile, she's a woman as a Gentile Gentile. She's so far from covenant relationship, you can't even see her. And she comes to Jesus and says, heal my daughter. And Jesus, it's like, I've made a choice. The Son of Man has only come to rescue the children, the, the sheep, the lost sheep from the house of Israel. He even sort of alludes to her as a dog. It's not right to take the scraps from the, the, the bread from children and give it to the dogs. And then the woman says, but even the dogs feast on the scraps of the children. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. Your daughter's is healed. Boom. And I'm like, wait, what? You, 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 set, you, you, you chose. But then he chose the unchosen. Why? Because this is what love looks like. It was always God's intent to make his community for more than just the children of Israel. God has always been at work. And I want to suggest that there's someone you know in your life that God is banging on the inside of your heart to talk to. God is making you evidently clear or you see it in their life that they desperately need a healthy word about Christ and it's banging on the inside of your chest right now and you're fearful and you're afraid to even make the suggestion or think about talking to them about Christ. But here's the thing, God has already been working in their life. Evangelism is really you catching up to what God has already been doing. God is already at work. The other thing about God, besides the fact that God chooses the unchosen, is God chooses to partner with humanity. With all of our faults, with all of our failings, with all of our shortcomings and fear, even with our misguided understanding of God. Regardless of Peter's front row seat in Jesus' life, despite walking to Jesus on water, if only for a few steps, in spite of the fact that Peter saw the resurrection of Christ, he really missed out on the understanding of what it means to be Lord. How do I know? In the middle of his hunger, in the middle of his prayer time, God speaks to him in a vision. Because God can share the extraordinary in the midst of the unordinary of our lives. 
a sheet lets down. Every unclean animal, any self-respecting Jewish man is not supposed to eat is there. God's word to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's response, surely not, Lord. Did you catch that? Surely not, Lord. If lordship means someone who has ultimate say in your life, someone with supreme power or rule, if that's what Lord means, could one logically say surely not? It's a complete misunderstanding of what lordship is. To understand lordship is to be able to hear God say, humble yourself, and to hear yourself say, surely, Lord. It is to hear God say, dig deep into scripture and hear yourself say, surely, Lord. To understand lordship is to hear God say, abide in me and go to the hung, hurting in need of relief. Say something about my son. Let the world know that the war is indeed won and to hear ourselves lovingly say, Surely, Lord. God's love is so persistent, so tireless, so unrelenting that Peter's response of surely not, Lord, is overlooked and God continues to speak to him. Three times he says, Peter. He shows Peter the vision. Three times Peter hears God's voice. Three times Peter says, surely not. I don't even allow my two children to say no to me that much. Also, he can see the vision is not about eating food, but loving people. People in desperate need of love and the good news of Jesus Christ. This is God attempting to change the story Peter is believing about himself. Why? Because Peter was holding on to a narrative, holding on to a story not in keeping with what God is doing in the world. Peter was holding on to a story about rules while God is functioning from relationship. Peter was holding a story about information while God is functioning from wisdom. Peter was holding on to a story about proximity while God was functioning from a place of intimacy. And the only way Peter can function within the will of God is to release the story that put him at odds with God's will. What's the story you're believing about yourself these days? All this week we've been looking at the life of David, addressing the blindness nostalgia brings as we look at the life of David. If you look at the life of King David through the lens of nostalgia, we celebrate a man after God's own heart. Sure, he had a few missteps, adultery, murder. We can look past that because we need to be like him. Faithful, hardworking, committed. This is the standard. Don't be like you. Be like him. Get it? Got it? Good. And that's the story we can onboard for it's filled with certainty, safety, significance, power, and control. But to take an unflinching look at David as a biblical figure, we figure, we realize he's pretty much a jerk, right? From stem to stern. Rabbi Walpi said it, everyone loved David, but nowhere did we find in scripture that David loved anybody. He was a rapist, he was a murderer, he is a terrible father, more tentative in action than Hamlet, and that's saying a lot. The beginning of his life is marked by insignificance, and the end of his life is marked by impotence. The dude is a jerk, but deeply loved by God. Deeply loved by God. 
This is a radically different story. But what if that story you can believe about yourself, what, is that, what if that is a story you can believe about yourself, about others? Certainly not a model to emulate, but it says something incredible about God and human relationship. God can love the likes of David. So maybe he can love the likes of me. Prone to wander. Lord, Lord, I feel it. But still be loved deeply. So I ask you to think about the stories you are believing about yourself. Think about the spoken and unspoken stories that drive your life. Think about the, the are, are they in keeping with God, the God of the Bible, or in keeping with the God we fashion in our hearts that we superimpose upon the Bible? And here's the thing. If there's a sense of human flourishing, if there's a sense that the kingdom of God is breaking out uh, where people are finding sightedness, finding they, their sacred inner voice, if emotionally, spiritually, and even physical healing is taking place, if folks' spiritual hunger is being fed, if you can find yourself co-creating with God, if you find yourself at odds with the empire, if your way of life is at odds with the empire of consumerism and isolation and hatred, it's a real good chance you're holding on to a healthy story about God. What are the stories you're believing about yourself these days? And then ask yourself, are these stories life-giving or are they death-dealing? Are they life-giving or are they death-dealing? The reason I ask is because there's a story, a story about a God. A God who created all things, who enlivened all things, who is the reason for all things. A God who in love says to God, hey God, yes God, God, let's create. Sounds good, God. Hey God, what do you want to create? Let's create humanity and let's create them in our own image. It's a story about a God inviting this creation into deep intimacy. And that intimacy, God shapes this creation's interior life to make them fit for community and to convince humanity of the veracity of this story God sent God and God consented to obey to God so God came God lived God died and God rose again conquering sin death and the grave also humanity could thrive for God with humanity in creation and this changes everything and this story is in you it's in your DNA. It was deposited in you at your baptism. It's the narrative believed by your truest self. So I'll ask you again, what stories are you believing about yourself these days? Because we become the stories we tell. Pray with me. God of grace and glory, we, we worship you. We thank you. We praise you for the mount we can be fixed upon. 
Dear God, there's so many winds that take us away, that makes us prone to wander. There's the, the winds of uncertainty. There are the winds of doubt. There are the winds of circumstance. There are, God, the winds of sorrow. There's the storms of terror and fear of the future. Dear God, there's so much that, that makes us wander. But praise be to you that you give us a mountain. You give us a presence that we can be fixed upon, that we can stand there in a surety of ourselves. We can stand up in ourselves, in your presence, knowing that you meet us there, that you transform our characters so that we, in fact, can transform this world. Not for just for us, but for your glory and for your namesake. Oh, dear God, tend to the stories that we, we listen to about ourselves. Highlight those stories that are death-dealing, and we ask you in the name of Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to take those stories and those narratives away. But dear God, highlight those stories that are life-giving. And please, dear God, I pray that you expand those stories, that you give us ears to hear those stories, that you give us the, the discipline to rehearse those stories to ourselves and to others because it is a story about you. It's a story about Jesus. It's a story about the Holy Spirit. It's a story about compassion that transforms the world. And that is a story worth not only living for, but that's a story worth dying for. And we ask that you give us the strength to stand into that story, to lean into that story, and for us to live that story. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you and keep you. You're dismissed.